Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 10. Behold my servant, whom, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will cry not aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will grow not faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to all the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in the darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants. All right. Let's, let's pray. We are um, was down this morning as uh, Charlie was taking in surgery and praying for him. So I want us to pray for him. He's uh, having triple bypass um, which is not open heart surgery um, found that out yesterday and if you have any questions about that Mr. Mickey will gladly explain that to you but he's having uh, triple bypass as we speak and um, we've as a church been praying for him for Miss Donna and we want to pray for them we'll get started in a teaching this morning Father we acknowledge your goodness and you're sovereign over all things you give life you take it away Father, we recognize that and we yield to you, submit to you this morning, and we recognize that no medical advances can keep us alive if you want us not to live. We recognize that. But, Father, we also recognize that you are gracious and merciful and you give good gifts to, to us who don't deserve it. And so we ask for mercy and grace for Charlie as he's in surgery and pray for that doctor, that all those nurses and doctors that are overseeing this operation, you would give them steady hands and wisdom that they would do their job well. And God, we ask that you would be gracious to Miss Donna, that she would take her anxious thoughts and she would run to you with them and you would give her the peace that passes all understanding. We're asking for grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Isaiah chapter 42, Jeff just read our teaching text. and So turn there, if you will. We're going to read a little bit in chapter 41 in just a second. Isaiah 
you wanted to outline that major prophet, chapters 1 through 35 have the Assyrian period as the backdrop. The Lord is using the Assyrians to discipline the southern kingdom called Judah. And they're being disciplined for their widespread injustice and their lack of trust in the Lord. In fact, Isaiah chapter 7 verse 18 tells us that God will whistle for the Assyrians who will pour out discipline on God's people. So we see the Assyrians are like a, a tool the Lord uses to discipline his children. And then chapters 36 through 39 is the historical bridge. It, it informs us, teaches us how the Babylonians overtook the Assyrians as the world superpower. And then we get into chapter 40 through 46. It, it teaches us of the upcoming Babylonian captivity that's going to take place about 130 years after Isaiah. And it's here that we first see the suffering servant of the Lord. The servant is sent to do God's will and to save his people. And so our teaching text today is the first of those servant passages. You'll see them in chapters 42, chapter 49, chapter 50, and then 52 and 53. And so we're going to teach two of these, today's text, and then next week we'll look at chapter 53. But we've, we've seen Christmas foretold already, haven't we? That's our, our Advent theme this year. Genesis chapter 12, Morgan taught that text. God gave a promise to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham was old and his wife was barren. They had no children, but God promised that his descendants would become a great nation. And that through Abraham and his descendants, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And we know that Jesus is the fulfillment of that great prophecy that great promise to Abraham. And then in chapter 7 of Isaiah, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Remember, Ahaz was offered by God. He didn't trust the Lord. There were enemies knocking on the doorstep. He was looking for help, and the Lord said that he would help him not to be fearful and to trust him. And, and the Lord told him to ask for a sign, and he wouldn't do that. And the Lord said, I'm going to give you a sign anyway, and the sign will be a virgin, right, will have a child, and his name will be called Emmanuel. We've already heard that text read several times already. God is actually going to be with his people. Two chapters later, we see another glimpse of this child in chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Well, our text today, again, foretells of Christmas. A servant of God will come. Now, the near context in chapter 41, the, the servant that we see mentioned there is actually talking about Israel. So we would naturally assume we see a, a servant being mentioned, that that would be Israel as well. But that's not the case. Israel is a servant, but she is blind and deaf. She's disobedient. But here in chapter 42, the servant is going to be none other than God himself. The southern kingdom, called Judah, is surrounded by uncertainty. And in chapter 41, God is teaching the nation that God is sovereign over all things. He whistles, and the Assyrians come to his call. And also the Babylonians, they'll be used to discipline his nation as well. But they'll stay in power only as long as God desires it. And he mentions in chapter 41, in verses 2 and 25, that Cyrus the Persian will overtake the Babylonians in the not-too-distant future. 
So God is sovereign over the past. He's sovereign over the present, but he's sovereign over the future as well. And God, through the prophet Isaiah, addresses the problem of idolatry. What idols can predict the past and foretell the future? These idols are juxtaposed to to God in chapter 41. God knows what has happened in the past. He ordained it, and he knows what's going to happen in the future. What does an idol know? In fact, God, through the prophet Isaiah, says, Bring your idols here. Let's see what they can do. Let's see what they can tell us. Of course, they can tell us nothing. The nations worshipped idols, and in fact, God's own people dabbled in it as well. So what should God's people do? Instead of beholding idols that can do nothing, they should behold the Father's servant. Look at verses 1 through 4 of chapter 42. Behold the Father's servant. The servant of God is the answer to the problem of idolatry. And we don't say behold very often. Um, It's a little formal. We would say instead of behold, we would say, hey, look at that. Hey, look at that. Who is this servant in chapter 42, verse 1? The Jews would say that this is the Messiah. In fact, almost all of their ancient translations of this text, they insert a third word. They would say, Behold, my servant, Messiah. So before Jesus came, the Jews knew to whom this verse indicated. It was the the Messiah, the anointed one who was to come. There's a chain reference in Matthew chapter 12. In fact, we're going to read verses 15 through 21. Matthew quotes this text, and Jesus has healed a man. He was crippled in his hand. He couldn't stretch it out, and and so God healed him. And the problem wasn't that he healed him so much as it was on the Sabbath, and so the Pharisees have a problem with that, and um, verse 15, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my spirit is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. So Matthew tells us this prophecy six or seven hundred years before Jesus was born was foretelling of his birth that Christmas morning. The servant is none other than Jesus of Nazareth, and he is the one in whom his father delights. It's interesting, all of these accounts in Matthew, he says over and over and over again, Matthew says, this is to fulfill the prophecy. This is the one in whom the Father delights. It brought to mind the transfiguration of Matthew 17, 5. Jesus is transfigured there. Peter, James, and John's on the mountain. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. 
We know that happened at the baptism as well, right? And, and it says here that I will put my spirit upon him there in verse 1. Matthew chapter 3, when Jesus, right before he began his ministry, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So the Father is pleased with this servant who was to come. Notice in verses 2 through 4, the text tells us what this servant who is to come, we know is Jesus, tells us what he will not do. Look what it says. He says, He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. You think about the leaders of Isaiah's day, the Assyrians, the Babylonians. They ruled with an iron fist. They conquered by might and brute strength. Assyria is ruling the day, but soon in, in 612 B.C., the Babylonians would defeat them and their rulers. They would put their faces on currency. They would build statues and even cities in their honor, only to be one up by the next kingdom. In fact, Babel, Babylon fell in 539 to Cyrus the, the Persian. He won't cry aloud. He won't lift up his voice. When God's servant comes on the scene, when he arrives, he won't self-promote. In fact, uh, you think about the conquering nations, the pagan nations, and even up through Jesus' day, the Roman Empire, when an opposing nation was conquered, they would take some of those leaders, especially the king, and they would take some of the captives and they would bring them home with them and they would parade them through the streets in an effort to show their superiority. But this servant, foretold by Isaiah, is not like other leaders. He's going to carry himself differently when he comes on the scene. This servant, as powerful as he is going to be, as righteous as he is going to be, he's going to be gentle to the weak. In fact, his, his reign will be marked by meekness and mercy. When this servant of God comes the first time, he, he's going to come quietly and unobtrusively. And we read Matthew and Luke, and we see that he wasn't loud and brash. He wasn't one to push his weight around, was he? I mean, think about Jesus when he came. It was by God's design, performed in obscurity. Where was he Born, He was born in Bethlehem, not in Jerusalem. He was born in a manger, not in the temple. His earthly parents, mother and, uh, his mother Mary and his father Joseph, they were descendants of David, but they were of the lower class, folks of meager means. The announcement of the birth of Jesus came to who? It didn't come to the religious elite. It came to the... Shepherds out in the field, men of poor reputation, right, at best. And he grew up. Where did he grow up? He grew up in Nazareth. Wasn't known for producing anyone or anything remarkable. Jesus, when he came on the scene, he didn't try to make a public spectacle of himself. He did not seek notoriety or prominence. 
In fact, time and time again, when Jesus would cast out a demon, when he would heal the lame, give sight to the blind, open the ears of the deaf, you remember what, what would he do? Shh. Don't tell anybody. Go and show yourself to the priest. He was the greatest person to ever walk the face of the earth, but yet he was not here to make a, a name for himself. He wasn't self-promoting, but notice how he treated others. Look at verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. Think about a bruised reed. Reeds were um, used for many different things. Walking sticks. Um, shepherds would make flutes out of them while they were out shepherding their flocks. They uh, were used for riding instruments, baskets, um, things like that were woven uh, using these reeds. But a bruised reed, what good is that? I was thinking about this, and Jenny and I, we are very different. In fact, my, some of our friends say, man, I've never s seen a married couple so different. Opposites attract, right? Yeah, I'm crazy about it, right? We're so different in so many ways. But one of the ways we're different is if I, uh, there's something around the house that we're not using regularly. My motto is like, what is it, kids? When in doubt, throw it out, baby. That's my motto, right? But Jenny sees things a little different, a lot different, in fact. She sees a, a pen without ink, a, a cracked mirror, a printer that no longer works. And she says, we might be able to use that one day, right? <laughs> and I think about you have somebody who says, this is, this is useful. might not be useful now, but it might be used later. <laughs> Let's keep that. Where me, I'm so quick to throw it out. Jenny's more like Jesus in that regard. And A bruised reed, what good is it? Most people would just throw it away. Jesus isn't like other leaders. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. Now, flax was a, a, a plant that was grown and harvested. Uh, the Egyptians used it, and they would make linen cloth out of it. Um, Rahab had flax drying on a roof when the spies came to her house. As those flax threads were dried, they were woven together and they would be put in, used in lamps and they would be dipped in the oil and they would be lit. And they would serve as a wick drawing the oil from the lamp producing a light. But a, a wick that is barely burning, it puts off little light and a lot of smoke. Think about a match. A lot of people don't use matches anymore, but you take a, a wooden match and you let it burn down, and, and then as it begins to go out, what happens? It begins to put off a lot of smoke, right? Well, that will, will happen with this flax. A smoldering wick puts off little light but a lot of smoke. Most people would do what I would do and just put it out and be done with it, right? 
How would folks deal with a bruised reed and a faint smoking wick? Jesus, he came for the bruised reed and the smoldering wick. Think about John chapter 4. I think that illustrates this perfectly. You remember the woman at the well? She wasn't somebody you would want to take home to mom and dad, that's for sure. Talking with Jesus, we find out she was a Samaritan. She's a woman. And usually you would travel around Samaria, right? You wouldn't travel through Samaria, but Jesus took his disciples on a little field trip. And he begins to talk with a woman. What we find out during that conversation is that she's been married many times. And the person she's living with now is not her husband. Tells us a lot about her character. Tells us a lot about where she would fit in in society. But what does Jesus do? He is gentle and he is compassionate. And we see many from her village come to place their faith in the servant of God. Jesus came for folks like that. See, Jesus, we learn from this text, is not one who kicks the downtrodden, downtrodden. He doesn't kick them when they're down, right? He doesn't put his heel to them. And we see that with Peter, don't we? Peter denied him three times. Jesus predicted it. It happened. And what do we see Jesus doing with Peter? After Jesus resurrected, he had breakfast with old Peter, didn't he? Jesus came and he served the broken. When the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they asked Jesus, or they asked the disciples about Jesus, well, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? You remember what Jesus said? Those who are well have no need of a physician, but only those who are sick. And Jesus came to serve the sick. And we love those who can do something with almost anything, right? Most of us, we do nothing with everything. But Jesus, he does something with almost anything. Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 and 26, A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. We're to be bold as Christians, aren't we? But we're to have gentle boldness like Jesus. Look at verse 4. He continues with what this servant, Jesus, won't do. He won't grow faint or be discouraged. There's a Bible verse that says, Don't grow weary in doing good. Why are we given that scripture? Because we grow weary in doing good. A, A certain Bible society, a mission society, they they sent a letter to David Livingstone. He was a missionary. He died a young man. He was a missionary in Africa. And a certain 
Bible group, mission group, sent him a letter. Have you found a good road to where you are? He was also a pioneer, explorer. If so, we want to send other men to join you. David Livingstone replied back to him, If you have men who will only come if they know there's a good road, I don't want them to come anyway. But this servant, God tells us through Isaiah, will not grow faint. Look at verse 4. Or be discouraged. This servant's going to accomplish his mission. He's going to build his church. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus tells Peter, You're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This servant, this tender servant, is superior to everything that would crush him. He's superior to everything that would cause him to fail. And he is, to, he is able to save all to the uttermost who come to God through him. He's a victor over sin. He's a victor over death, and he gives this victory to his people. We see that in Paul's writings, Romans chapter 8, verse 37. In all these things, we're more than conquerors through him, this servant, who loves us. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So we've seen what he will not do, right? He will not break the bruised reed. He will not quench the smoldering wick. He won't go faint. He won't give up, be discouraged. But notice what he will do in this passage. Verse 1, I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Look at verse 4. He won't grow weary. He won't faint. He won't be discouraged. He has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. So what will this servant do? He will establish justice. What would this servant Jesus do for sinners? He's going to live a perfect life so he could become the perfect sacrifice so he could make propitiation for our sin. He's going to absorb, he's going to take on the wrath of the Father. And in so doing, God's going to be called the just and the justifier. I love this passage, Romans chapter 3. Paul here is leveling the ground, Jew and Gentile, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, in verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Amen. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. How did 
this servant Jesus bring forth justice? How was justice served? It's kind of ironic. It was by this servant becoming a bruised reed and a smoldering wick. Isn't that interesting? That's how he, br he brought forth justice to the nations. He allowed himself to be broken and to be extinguished by the sin of the world. The justice demanded for sin is satisfied in Christ. And the justice demanded by God's compassion is extended. By coming humbly and living among us and dying for sinners, he accomplished what needed to be accomplished so he could take us bruised reeds and smoldering wicks and he could save us and make us into something useful. If you hadn't caught on yet, you're, you and I, we're the bruised reed and the smoldering wick. He's not going to break us. He's not going to snuff us out. He came to save us and to use us for his glory. Our second point from verse 10, there's so many, so much that we could talk about here in the next few verses. I'm going to leave, small group leaders, I'm going to leave a lot of meat on the bones for you. Look at verse 10. Or look at verse 8. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to another, nor my praise to carved idols. Remember chapter 41, all about the, these idols. What are these idols going to do? I don't give my glory to those made images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. God can predict the future. He's predicting the future. There's going to be a servant that's going to come. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to be a descendant of David. What should be our response in verse 10? Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills it. The coastlands and their inhabitants. The proper response to God and, and his servant. Jesus is praise. It's praise. So this Christmas season, there's a lot going on. Christmas parties, we're going to carol tonight. You have family, uh, some of you have, you have family reunions. Some of you, you'll do family things to, today just to make room in your calendar because it's just hard, right, getting all the parties together and family reunions on, on the schedule. And we'll do all those things, and we'll have a lot of things going on here at church. We're going to carol tonight, which is incredible. You ought to come if you can. We're going to have a... Christmas Eve service. Get here at 5. We'll be done by 5.45. Bring your family. Christmas Day, it's Sunday, so we'll worship. Just, just a worship service, 10.30. You don't have to come early. We'll have the heat on. Come and we'll sing and we'll have a short message. We'll read some scripture. We'll spend some time praising the Lord. And then we'll be able to go and do our family things. But we do have a lot of things going on But this Christmas season. But... Let's be thankful this Christmas season. Let's praise his holy name. Amen. So, by way of application, what do we do with this prophecy, Isaiah 42? The first prophecy of the servant who was to come. We're to 
We ought to praise them. We ought to spend time praising the Lord. You know, preacher, what do you mean exactly? Well, in your time with the Lord, if you don't have a time with the Lord, I know sometimes we just kind of get in autopilot. You ought to have a time. You get up in the morning before you go to work, get up a little early, and just find a, a place to be alone with the Lord. We use an ACTS model a lot, A-C-T-S. A stands for adoration. So when you start your prayer time, just tell the Lord how good he is. Just tell him how good he is. And then confess your sin. It's easy to confess your sin after you're telling God how good he is because we're not like him, right? Leads right into confession, and then we're forgiven, so what do we do? If you're a believer, we're forgiven, so what do we do? It rolls right into thanksgiving. That's easy too, right? And then you just lift your request up. Pray for yourself and your needs and your family's needs, your spouse's needs, your kids, grandkids, and all the things going on in the world. Lift up your church family and the, the needs that they have there. Yeah, just spend time praising the Lord. Think about the leaders of the, the nations. They conquer by brute force. Jesus conquered by, he, he conquered with kindness. The Bible says that the kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance. And once he went, he's won us. What does he do? He gives us his spirit to enable us to obey him. Isn't that something? Kind of neat system, isn't it? We're rebellious, living our lives like this. God pursues us. He wins us, grants us repentance and faith, and he gives us his spirit so we can obey him and do what he wants us to do. Isn't that amazing? And he commands us to meet us in groups and fellowships churches so we can encourage and love one another. Isn't that neat? I think we should have boldness, application number three, but we should have gentle boldness. Emulate our Savior. Fourthly, if the Father so delights in the son who was to be born 700 years after this prophecy should we not also delight in the son and you may be here and, and you've yet you, you're living your life and you're yet to delight in the son yeah, well, what do you mean you're yet to delight in the Son. Well, maybe you've lived your life and you acknowledge who Jesus is. You acknowledge Christmas is about Jesus and him coming to earth and taking on flesh. And yeah, he lived and he died for sinners, da-da-da-da-da. But you don't delight in the Son. Maybe you acknowledge that God is good and he's given us his Son, Christ, who came to make propitiation to sacrifice himself so that sinners could have a relationship with the Father. But you've never yet bowed the knee to Christ and you've never embraced him and trusted what he did on the cross for you. And you know these things in your head, but you've never embraced Christ. You've never been changed. And you can't say 
beyond a shadow of doubt today that you're born again, that, that if you died, you're going to be in glory. Hey, let me tell you, if you're not embracing the Son, you don't, ha- you don't get the Father. You don't know the Father unless you know the Son, unless you've embraced the Son. Are you delighted in the Son? Have you ever repented? Have you ever trusted Christ? Have you ever yielded to the Lord? Have you ever, have you ever cried out to the Lord and just said, Lord, save me. I'm a sinner. Have you ever told God that you deserve his worst and you recognize and you know that he sent Jesus to die for you? You may have it all up here, but you, you, there's never been a life change. By way of application today, you need to repent and you need to embrace the son, the servant, who Isaiah talks about in Isaiah 42. You need to embrace the son. Of all the people on the earth, we the church should be able to say, who can cheer the heart like Jesus by his presence all divine, true and tender, pure and precious. Oh, how blessed to call him mine. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is more than life to me. And the fairest of 10,000 in my blessed Lord I see. Is he yours? Do you know him? Repent today. I'd love to talk to you about that. How you can do that, how you can know that you are born again and how you can have a relationship with the Father. And, and maybe some of us here in the church, we're, we've been born again, but we're not living like the Son who is tender and gentle. But how do you do that? I'm so rough. And John 15, 5, Jesus says, Remain in me and I in you, and you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Church family, how many of us are, are drawing near to the Lord like on a daily basis. I think sometimes we get away from the basics. We kind of think we graduate from like having quiet time, having, you know, reading scripture, meditating on scripture, memorizing scripture, having prayer time. You never graduate. Doesn't matter how much you know, how much you learn, you never graduate. In fact, the more you know, the, the, the more you ought to draw near the Lord, right? Because the more we know, the more prone we are to be self-righteous depending on ourselves, right? Maybe just by way of application as a church, we need to get back to just spending time with the Lord. And what I mean is like getting a prayer closet. You're like, closet? I don't wherever. Some place where you can just be alone with the Lord and you don't have to pray for hours. Just spend some time drawing near the Lord as if your life depends on it. Not us flippant stuff. I'm going to pray to my lip, blah, 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 blah. No. Get on your face and 
Praise the Lord, telling him how good he is, confessing your sin, being thankful, lifting up to all these requests. We need to get back to that, I think. Draw near the Lord as if your life depends on it. Won't you stand with us? We're going to sing one more song, and we're going to be dismissed. I'm going to pray. Father, you're good to us, and we're thankful for your word, and we're thankful that you know all things, and you give us this prophecy, Isaiah 42, about this servant, Father. This servant is Jesus, and he came. Not like the, not like the leaders of the pagan nations, but he came humbly and unobtrusively, and he conquers by kindness and sacrifice and love. Father, I pray that your spirit would move in the hearts of our those in the congregation today. And if there's any that's lost and they've yet to delight in Christ and embrace him, I pray that you would open their eyes to see how good he is and open their eyes to see their own sin. And Lord, may you break their hard, calloused heart, break their will, and allow them to yield to you. And Father, for us as a church, may we be faithful. And Father, for us to be faithful, for us to be a faithful church, we need you to help us. Help us to be prayerful folks who's made up of a, a lot of individuals who daily draw near to you. Father, may we be a church that's bold, but characterized by gentle boldness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.